mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Hope you're having a nice drive or a good, satisfying dog walk. Or maybe you're in the kitchen or doing some gardening. Perhaps you're relaxing in the bath. I desperately need to take a bath. I mean, I'm clean. I shower. But what I want to do is take a bath and do like oils and really hydrate my skin because what breastfeeding does, for those of you who don't know, is for the prolactin hormone to be strong enough to produce milk, your estrogen plummets. And I have been estrogen deficient now for coming up on a year and it's bleak. And I still get messages all the time from people who are like, you've really gone overboard with the filler, Catherine, looking like shit, babe. And it's like, what you're noticing is a lack of filler. When you're breastfeeding, you can't have Botox, you can't have filler, and your natural hormone that makes you beautiful, estrogen melts away. Furthermore, I am hungry like a wolf. I'm hungry like a damn wolf. It is 8.46 in the morning, and already I have eaten a gusto cod and chorizo with these like something, Cajun paprika, smoky tomatoes, and kale with this special BK sauce. I don't really know how he makes it. And I've also had a crumpet, gluten-free crumpet, with Philadelphia urban garlic cream cheese. And I've had two coffees. And now I'm drinking a freaking cloudy lemonade. What the hell? And then I wonder why I've gained weight. Although, who cares? I really don't care. I'm keeping it together. And that is what it takes to make milk for Fred because Fred is 24 months size close and he's in a nine, almost 10 month old baby. Listen, without getting into Fred's personal affairs, he had a minor hospital procedure the other day. He was nauseous afterwards. How can any child of mine not react positively to a general anesthetic? I don't know. I wake up from a general anesthetic as they're taking the tube out my throat. And I start talking and I'm ready to drive a car. And they're always like, ma'am, you need to stay in recovery for a while. I'm like, you need to discharge me now. I know you're busy. I'm not asking for special treatment. I'm asking to leave because as I read in the paper all the time, the NHS have a lack of available beds. So I'm going to take my own IV out if you don't mind. That's never popular with the nurses, but I do it well. Cannula, rather. And then I leave. And sometimes they're chasing me out. I'm like, I'm sorry, I know about your procedure, but you have to understand that I can't be in a hospital. And I just can't. So I feel great after surgery. I hear them talking. The last time I had surgery, as they took the tube out, I heard the doctor say how much fentanyl I had. And I was like, excuse me, do you feel like you really should be using fentanyl? There's a huge fentanyl problem in my hometown. The doctor was like, you're not supposed to hear that. And I said, 
bye bye. I have to go to work now. And I did have to go to work. Why? Because at the time I was working for the BBC, who I say it all the time on their insurance website, plainly state that you are not covered if you miss work for any matters of the womb. And I had surgery for a matter of the womb. And I didn't want the production to lose a bunch of money. It was a wonderful production company. I'm sure they would have covered for me, but I didn't want to put them in that position. So I said, I'll be there. And I was not even a minute late. I digress. Fred had a procedure and I went to this hospital with Fred and it was bleak. You know, it's always a little bit grim. Violet, my nearly 13 year old daughter, is hilarious. She's so above her station. It seems bratty maybe when I tell it, but it's genuinely sweet the way she does it. And she never comes off like a brat. She said, uh, oh, I wish I could have gone. And I said, well, not even Bobby could come because it's still COVID rules. You have to submit a PCR, which we got two private PCR tests. Yes, one for me, one for my infant son. And they cost, ready for this, 458 pounds. Were they checked? Did anyone look at the PCR tests? No. So you're welcome. Donation to the PCR company that I made. I don't know why people think any of this is a racket. It's a real mystery to me. But anyway, I understand there are kids in there who are quite vulnerable. So fine. We took the PCR test. We come to the hospital. No Bobby allowed because of COVID rules. And Violet said, well, I needed to be there. And I said, oh, don't worry. You know, Fred was happy to have me there. And then as soon as he came home, it was a day thing. Not circumcision, by the way, if that's what you're thinking. If you are not au fait with my views on that, there's a podcast on it. Um, it was a day surgery. So we came home and he, he saw you as soon as he got home, Violet. And she said, no, I needed to be there to ask the surgeon a list of questions. I said, what? And now this surgeon is my friend. He is a ugh, private surgeon that I met when I was uh, at the Lindo Wing where I delivered Fred, a really wonderful private hospital. It was not their fault that I showed up with 19 minutes to go before Fred's birth. No consultant, no drugs, no problem. That was no one's fault but mine because I locked myself in my room in denial for a few, uh, three hours exactly. And I met him uh, when I brought Fred back to pediatrics. He's a wonderful man. And he also obviously is affiliated with NHS hospitals. These doctors who do private work, they also do NHS work too. Even the doctor who delivered Kate Middleton's babies, you might just by luck of the draw, luck of the postcode, get him on the NHS. That's how all private doctors work. If you have a doctor who does not work in an NHS hospital, doesn't do that type of surgery as well, then... That's a dodgy affair, I think. I'm almost certain that they have to be NHS affiliated in and out of accredited hospitals to do private work. I think you'll only find plastic surgeons who who don't do any NHS hours, I think. But I mean, check that in your own time if you have a private doctor. Violet said, I would like to have been there to ask him where he got his medical license, where he went to school, where he got his certifications. Was he top of his class? I was like... Violet, I don't really think you understand that a 12-year-old cannot walk up to a hugely accredited, experienced pediatric surgeon and ask these questions. And she just, she's like, well, did you ask the questions? I said, no. She said, don't you think those are questions you should be asking before you allow someone to operate on your son? And I was like, fuck, maybe. No. I mean, I did my due diligence, I, I researched all about him, even though I really like him and I know him. But listen, here's what he told me that I want to tell you. 
incredible. I said, what else you got in the agenda for this week? And he's like, well, you know, I'm not really at liberty to talk about my surgeries. And I was like, oh, please, I want to know. You have such an incredible job. You're such an incredible person. And he said, well, one thing that we do now that you might find interesting is in the harrowing event that a child has to undergo chemotherapy, we can remove an ovary or a testicle from the child and preserve it. I guess they cut it into small pieces and uh, preserve the follicles and then put it back after the chemotherapy so that they don't lose fertility in their 20s, 30s, 40s, beyond Naomi Campbell. They preserve it because obviously these children have a great likelihood of getting better. That's the goal to make these children better. And by the time they're 30 years old, well, they don't really remember having childhood cancer, but they're pissed off that some of them don't have fertility. So they've developed this thing where they can remove an ovary, preserve it, and put it back. This blew my mind because he said IVF is 20% effective, which sounds like a low number, but I think that means potentially every cycle. I know from trying for babies of my own that in a natural cycle, a healthy, young, fertile person having sex at the right time only has a 30% chance of conception every month. And I think that's if you're like 25. Uh, That's the statistic that I found anyway. So IVF being 20% feels natural. I mean, that's conceivable to me. This has an 80% success rate. And I said to him, are you fucking kidding me? I said, so I could have my ovaries removed today and put back when I'm 85 and they would be functional. Now, doctors, even though this guy's fun, funny, they're very uh, literal. It's their job to learn information and memorize it and regurgitate it and be quite scientific. So I think he took it literally. He said, no, Catherine, it wouldn't be worth doing now. You have much lower amount of follicles, way fewer follicles now than you did when you were a baby. And so taking your ovaries out now and putting them back when you're 80. I was like, no, no, no. I'm not suggesting that we do it. I'm just saying, if I'm looking at the future of science, is it possible to remove someone's ovaries, preserve them, put them back, and they could grow and be functional? And he was like, I wouldn't recommend you do that. But yeah, I was like, okay. Because here's what I'm thinking is this uh, gender gap that we've spoken about all over town, wage gap, biological fertility gap, where men don't necessarily have to think about children until their 50s if they want to, but it becomes quite a pressing issue for women if we want to grow our families. You're supposed to what have your career all tied up in a nice little bow in your 20s, and they'll be like, now I'm ready to have kids, or have kids put your career on hold. And this is in response to a listener's email last week, or the week before, actually, but a doctor gave her advice last week. She's like, I want to go to medical school, but my partner's in his mid-30s. He wants to have babies now. I'm in my 20s. Should I pause everything? And this is the question that a lot of us are asking. We're either going, should I pause everything, have these kids now, pick my career back up, which is, by the way, nearly impossible when you have a bunch of kids. Definitely harder than it is on their dad. Or should I wait establish myself and then find out that actually my egg reserve has dropped in my late 30s, early 40s, whatever. So why don't we, maybe in the future, I'm not, again, surgery is never the first move, but in the future, who knows how much surgery we'll be having. Will it be the great equalizer? Might it be standard practice 
to take out everyone's testicles and ovaries when they're nine years old, like tonsils, preserve them, and then pop them all back in when everyone's 35. I don't know, ready to have babies. I know this is not financially viable. Don't be constrained by thinking about the world as it is today. I'm talking about future world. If we don't blow the planet up, will this be the way to do things? Because it would eliminate unwanted, unplanned pregnancy, whatever you want to call it, that is not an offensive term for you. And it will equalize the biological like fertility gap. I feel like this might happen in the future. I'm no science man. And yes, there are problems with it because you don't want to get into an insurance situation. Everything's hijacked by greed and classism. I'm sure that you're already finding holes in my plan. We're like, yes, but if you are not up to date with your 25,000th COVID vaccination by that time, maybe they'll refuse to put your ovaries back and then only certain people will be allowed through eugenics to have, fine, 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 fine. I get it. This is why it's a problem, but everything's a problem. Everything that starts out with good intentions ends badly because we spoil things and that's why we don't deserve nice things. Like Twitter, the guy who created Twitter came out and apologized for it the other day. He was like, listen, this is not what I designed it for. This is an absolute hellscape. Didn't realize. I apologize. Apology not accepted. On the subject of apologies, it's a very tricky one. I mean, I think I'm conditioned to believe it's tricky because I want to be polite. And comedy is very much about respecting your elders. You know, if you're on a road trip, going to a gig somewhere, the headliner always sits in the front. And if you're a support act, you sit in the back. Little things like that were the rules and regulations in Canada. And I think that's why it was a boys club for so long, or it's reflective of it being such a fraternity for so long, is that these men felt comfortable with those type of private school laws and hierarchy, like Lord of the Flies. They were just like, oh, well, you always have to respect the headliner. And I mean, I think that's fair enough. It's uh, old fashioned that you respect your elders, uh, but also you don't expect your elders to ask to take their penis out and masturbate in front of you. So now we're in muddy territory with it all. I love Louis C.K.'s comedy. I always have. I saw a woman on Twitter, the aforementioned website, say that she saw a Louis C.K. show on acid and there were other comedians on the bill. Whatever she saw, she could see music when some of them were speaking and she could see flowers when some of them were speaking. But when Louis C.K. did his set, she saw him as the devil himself and all his words were math, which I found very fascinating because a lot of stand-up is kind of math. I mean, maybe not math, but it's equations of setup, setup, punchline, misdirection, bringing, you know, it's kind of like um, less mathematic to me and more like a map. I don't really know how to describe it, but I can imagine that if you were on acid, which I have never taken, but I hear that you trip out a little bit, visually, maybe jokes would look like math to people. I don't know, but suffice to say, she didn't enjoy his set. She saw him as the devil himself. And that's not to say he is the devil himself, but he did naughty things. Uh, He asked 
chivalrously a bunch of younger female stand-ups throughout his career and co-workers if he could masturbate in front of them. One of them is my friend, and she has been very vocal about this on Twitter. She's amazing, actually. Well, I mean, I'll tell you who it is. It's Jen Kirkman. If you don't follow her or listen to her podcast, you should. I have always said that Jen is one of very few real ones. You can tell that she's not afraid of anything. She doesn't believe that these men are at risk of being canceled at all. She says that she herself, by speaking out, has been effectively canceled because Netflix didn't renew her specials, didn't promote her specials that are currently on there. And she's retired from stand-up comedy, but she still does an anxiety podcast and a comedy podcast and lots of different things. She's a writer for comedy sitcoms. She's really, really funny. And she is one who really champions other female comics. When I first met her in Melbourne, she came to my show, which is always really touching when a more established comedian does that, especially when you're young and starting out, you're like, oh my gosh, it's daunting for sure, but it's also really nice. It's a show of support that matters to people. And Melbourne's really busy. She could have done anything else with her day, but this is what she does. And she's very celebratory of other comedians. And she's hurt at the minute because Louis C.K., after all his transgressions, was just nominated for and subsequently won a Grammy for his album where he does not apologize for what we are calling sexual assault allegations, but he admitted to, but they're still allegations, even though he admitted to them. He doesn't apologize. He sort of pokes fun at the whole thing and minimizes it and almost tauntingly has the word sorry on stage. I'm not sure if he won for this special or or the following one. He released two specials from his website like he always does. And I'm not sure which one is the winner of the Grammy, but anyway, they're kind of interchangeable. And one of the specials has the words sorry on stage the whole time, but he doesn't say sorry. It's more like a sorry, you know, like a (laughs) sorry. And the special, which I'm not proud to say or ashamed to say, I guess, I'm pretty neutral about the fact that Bobby and I purchased the special from his website. Am I a bad person for giving money to someone who wanked or asked to wank around a bunch of my colleagues? Yeah, but I was interested. And there are parts of it I really liked about an obese person being weighed at the zoo and how, oh, it's a complicated bit. You know, parts of the Louis C.K. that I still really liked were in there. But then I also felt like what happens with these guys when they get quote unquote canceled or admonished for their behavior is they go harder. They become, they identify as edgelords. And he's got this other bit about his girlfriend jokingly sending him children's panties. And now he's like, oh, how am I going to get rid of these? I can't really cut them up and put them in a bin. It looks worse. Like that for me, I just thought, it made me feel quite sick actually and sad. And that's not to say I believe he should be canceled. There are some jokes in the world that I'm going to like and some jokes in the world that I'm not going to like. And I don't mean to censor anyone's jokes, but I really feel like a lot of people are missing the point that when a colleague, especially a more established colleague, asks your consent to wank in front of you, that is still a sexual harassment. If you worked in any other industry and your boss or someone higher up in the sales team than you invited you into their office and said, hi, is it cool if I take my dick out and 
wank in front of you or rang you up on the phone and was masturbating down the phone. That's inappropriate in any other workplace, so why not mine? And I think comedy has had a wild week where Chris Rock was slapped on stage. These women are metaphorically slapped in the face again because someone who really put them off potentially their careers in a lot of cases like who knows how many female comics and in addition to having to hear like you're not funny you'll never be funny as men we also have to proceed with vigilance and assessment everywhere we go because everything is a little bit more dangerous for us especially when you've had someone like that someone that you admire be like mind if I wank in front of you a lot of women will just wash their hands of it and go do you know what I'm out I don't need this I'm gonna go do something else and that is what a lot of people don't realize that that oppressed minorities or any minority in comedy is up against. Those type of, let's call them microaggressions, though I feel like it's an aggression. It, it's disappointing. And people don't give it the respect that it deserves. And it makes us feel like we don't matter, I think, if I'm listening to the different voices speaking about this right now. It's a real slap in the face. And I think it's really disheartening for Jen to say, well, a lot of these male comics I thought were my friends. I stuck up for them. She's someone who goes to bat for comedy, full stop. She believed that these men were her friends. And men, male comics especially, are either defending Louis C.K. or are not admonishing his behavior and not standing up for what's right and what would make women feel safer in this industry. I think eh, the message is they just don't care. And that is quite hurtful to a lot of people. Some, no, I'm not even going to say some men. I've seen no established male comedians uh, talk about this, really. And I feel badly because Jen talks about it. And what does she receive in return? No support from her colleagues, nothing but harassment online and abuse. And men saying, well, he... Oh, it's not a sexual assault to ask to get your dick out in front of someone. And if you want to hear more about Jen's experience, she has an incredible special out that is available on iTunes and Spotify and all the different places you download things. It's called Gen X, G-E-N-X, and it's Jen Kirkman. And she talks about the day that she was out with Louis C.K. and he asked to show her his dick, yes. And while the men online that I can see anyway really hurling loads of harmful language and abuse and harassment at Jen. They love to say, well, you know, that was nice. He did a weird thing, but he asked your consent and he's actually a gentleman. Fuck you, Jen. It's like, okay, shoes on the other foot. What level of sexual harassment would you find acceptable if it was happening to you? And I imagine that these men would not mind a lady cornering them at work or in a bar and saying, hey, would you mind looking at my vagina for a second? But I think if it actually happened to them, and especially if it was someone more powerful, you know, they're imagining like some young cheerleader goes, hey, can I show you my pussy? It's not like that. It's like a superior in a position of power. It's a very aggressive, actually, to be like, hey, can I do this to you? It really puts you off balance. And the creepy thing about it is I think that's the bit he got off on from everything that I understand. And 
you wouldn't like that. You just wouldn't like that. And if that person was bigger than you and stronger than you and more established in your industry than you, you would think, well, what do I say now? Because I might not get booked again. I might not be safe on tour. I might not get hired for this job that I want if I handle this situation badly. It's about constant vigilance and assessment. And I think these guys don't even know what that would be like. And they lack the empathy to even or the sympathy to even put themselves in someone's shoes like that. And I hate to think of how many interesting, layered, comedic voices we are missing out on today because of men like that who are still getting booked, still working, still winning Grammys. Like Will Smith now, after the Chris Rock slap, his movies are put on hold and he's banned from the Academy, I think. And I, you know how I feel about cancel culture? I don't really think that... I'm on board with that reaction either. It's like people are so incapable of uh, rational thinking and accountability. It's like, oh, this is fine. Let's give him a standing ovation and an Oscar moments after it happened. And then they're so reactionary. They go, oh, wait, people don't like that? Oh, oh, well, let's totally flip. And actually, we'll we'll get him kicked out of the Academy and we'll put all his movies on hold. Will this make you happy? It's like, well, what do you think in your heart is the right thing to do? I personally don't feel like Will Smith should be banned from the Academy and his movies should be put on hold. I feel like that's an overreaction potentially. But I also don't feel like he should have won an Oscar that night and had a standing ovation. Like maybe quietly security go, hey, you just assaulted someone. I get that you're Will Smith, but I'm gonna need you to leave for the rest of the night and we'll post your Oscar to you. Like um, there's somewhere in the middle that would be cool, maybe, maybe. And Louis C.K., do I think that he should be banished to Mars forever and never allowed to do stand-up again? If he wants to do stand-up and people want to go see him, I don't know. I feel like people are entitled, you know, there have been a lot of bad people who have followings and all right, but then should the Academy vote for his album to win a Grammy? That maybe I feel was a step too far. It just sends a message that like your safety doesn't matter and we're going to exalt someone who actually makes fun of what he did to you and doesn't apologize for it in his special and fuck you and good luck. And then all of the men are silent about it. And I have not experienced sexual assault at work at all. I mean, one of my boyfriends definitely followed me onto a train from a gig and I felt like he was in my space and I felt quite put off by it and intimidated by it at first. But then I dated him for like years. So, oh, well, you can't call that sexual assault. But I mean... (laughs) I think we put ourselves at risk. We work at night. We work alone. We have to travel around without a tour manager, especially in the beginning. And like Nikki Glaser, another incredible comedian, she always puts as a joke on her social media, hey, come kill me in Minneapolis at 8 p.m. I'll be at the Troxy. Hey, come murder me in San Francisco Saturday night at 6. I'll be, you know, because it's a it's a vulnerable thing for us to do. And we feel less safe when all of this behavior is not just swept under the rug and excused, but rewarded, it seems like. That's all. 
I don't want to be ungrateful to reviewers because it is an ecosystem where we need press to sell tickets to our gigs. Otherwise, people don't know about the shows. I have three more dates at the London Palladium, May 5th, 6th, and 7th. And the first three dates in April sold out, but these ones were moving slower because I had done no press and people didn't know about them. So my first three dates at the Palladium, Live Nation, my wonderful promoters invited some reviewers. And they were all very nice, really great reviews. Uh, Again, I sound really ungrateful, but I don't care. I'm not interested in hearing what someone thinks about the thing they can never themselves do. And if you're going to brush off the bad reviews, you have to brush off the good reviews too. It's fine for people to listen to my comedy and to say what they think about it as an audience. And a reviewer, I think, is a is a good job because they get to tell audiences, all right, here's what the show is and maybe you'll like it or maybe you won't. Especially if you have a favorite reviewer and you usually agree with them. It's a nice shortcut to be like, oh, he liked that. I might like that because I usually like everything he likes. Fine, fine, fine. Personally, I don't read them and I don't care. Sometimes I get included on social media or they get sent to me or people say, oh, I read this. And I'm just like, I feel if I had a ECG monitor, the flat line would just be like, like it doesn't lower or raise my pulse. Happy news, bad news. I feel like what other people think of you is none of your business when it comes to reviewers and that kind of thing. I tell you this enough. Of course, I want people to have a good night out. But the reviews always sort of bug me in a way because they will tell your jokes, they'll write your jokes down. And it's like, don't do that. Because now people have seen the joke, but they haven't watched you perform the joke. It's different. And you've spoiled it in some way. But then also the way that publications talk about comedy, there's a gender gap again, because these wonderful reviews were like, oh, wow, Catherine Ryan is really showing her soft side now. She's real uh, displaying softness, finally. We're so, I was being rewarded for softness, which seems like a nice thing to say. And maybe this show is softer than some of my others. Part of that will be because I have the podcast now where I've gotten comfortable not always doing what I did on panel shows where you have set up punchline, set up punchline. I think this is a more long form medium and I also show my true self. But I was also taken down several notches in lockdown. I never believed that COVID was a thing or we were going to be able to shut the whole world and businesses and travel and people's freedom of movement down and mandate vaccines. I never believed that in my life. So that was humbling. And then I never thought I was going to have two miscarriages back to back. And that was also humbling. And I gained, what, 40 pounds, 30 pounds, and had to take a bunch of steroids and face the fact that my autoimmune diseases were maybe impacting how I carry babies. Like a lot of shit has happened that I don't discuss on stage. That's, (laughs) those little gems are just for you. But yeah, I've been humbled in lockdown. And I have had the great privilege of getting to talk to people on the podcast. So yeah, maybe. And I also haven't slept in 10 fucking months. So maybe I seem a bit softer, not to say that this show isn't full of jokes. But I'm a missus now. I'm a married lady. And I speak very lovingly about my husband, even though I'm also making fun of him in a lighthearted way. Fine, maybe softer, whatever. But my annoyance comes from 
No man in comedy has ever been praised for softness. Never, never will they be like, oh, you know, Joe Rogan is showing his softer side in this show, and it's just so great to see. He's more approachable, warmer, and it's a real buzzword with me because the people who decide whether I'm hired or not, a lot of the smart ones can see through what I do. They see the vulnerability in the Duchess. They see the softness. They see that it's just not presented the way that they're used to seeing softness from a woman. But a lot of one, a lot of people go, oh, well, she's a little bit too abrasive for our delicate audience. No, no, we can't hire Catherine for that because she's just such a fucking bitch. She's so mean. And what's annoying to me is these reviews saying that I'm soft will actually help me in the future because now commissioners might go, oh, well, actually, maybe this woman who's had a solid decade of pure success in our country can have this job that her male peers, we would have given them based on potential alone, their first 18 months in. Oh, because finally she's showing her soft maternal side. I have always had a soft maternal side. I have always showed it. Uh, My work is very nuanced and I don't feel like I have to put it on display or I shouldn't have to put it on display to be considered palatable to a mainstream audience because my male counterparts don't have to and they don't get reviewed the same way that I do. Oh my God, Frankie Boyle is finally showing his softer side. I actually Googled like loads of male stand-ups that I love next to the word soft and there was one negative article. Has Frankie Boyle gone soft? Oh no, because I guess when you talk about men and softness, it's very like penile and all you want to be, oh, he's Oh, Jimmy Carr's so rigid. Absolute flex of a show. He's very rock hard, solid act. It's so fucking weird. Listen, whatever. Uh, My book is soft. My pussy is soft. (laughs) Even my breast implants are quite soft. And my act has always had layers of softness, but whatever. This is why I don't care. Like, don't send it to me. Oh, but Catherine's a four-star review. I don't care. It's none of my business. People are loving the shows. People have always come to see me on tour and love the shows. And some people, no matter what I do, will be so drunk that they fall asleep in the show. No one gets that pissed at the Lion King. But they will fall asleep. Uh, Some people won't like it. Some people have a bad day. I just do my best all the time. And I'm the same me, the same authentic self that I have always been. It's just now I sleep less and I'm hungrier. That is it. But anyway, I'm very grateful to anyone who's come to see the show, who is coming to see the show. By the way, I'm going to Los Angeles with the show at the end of April, and I've reached out to a few places about donating breast milk while I'm there. How's this for softness? Because it goes to help infants who can't have breast milk or premature babies or ill infants in hospital or just you donate it to homes where uh, mothers are having trouble lactating and they want to combine feed donated breast milk and formula fine whatever I don't really care where it goes as long as it's not going to a sex predator oh god yeah I could sell my breast milk online but I would never do that I want to give it to one of these banks in LA, but they need a lot of screening, obviously. They're not just going to take like any old milk off the street. And I don't know if I'm in town long enough to do all the screening and everything else. If you have done this in America before as a non-resident, please email me telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Do you know how or why or the best way, not why, where, how or where or the best way to donate just three days worth of breast milk when you're in LA? Please help me so that I don't have to sell it online. 
Um, I have a shoot coming up, a lot more press for Backstage with Catherine Ryan that's coming out on Amazon. Really excited about that. But I've grown weary of comedy shoots as well. Uh, They always want, you know, let's find a comedic angle. Like maybe she could smear her lipstick like I want to look like an ad for cervical cancer. There is a charity that does this already. Smear your lipstick to remind people to get a pap smear and upload a selfie. I will not participate in any charity activity that involves a selfie. I think it is so gross. Like, oh, you won't you won't support our charity unless it involves your own vanity. So show us your face. (laughs) I just don't like it. And that's just me. I think charities are wonderful. They're doing good work. And I don't blame them. They've really tapped into how people behave. And the sad part is you ask women to smear their lipstick and upload a selfie, they are more likely to do it because it involves their own face. But I won't do it. And I don't want to do it for this ad. And then they sent me the mood board. They're like, look, this is the look we're going for. It was a fucking picture of Caitlyn Jenner a 72-year-old trans woman wearing a corset. Catherine, what's wrong with looking like a trans woman? Nothing. Nothing at all. Except Caitlyn, babe, is 72 and has had the least amount of work done of any Kardashian. And I'm not wearing a corset on the shoot. I don't know. I need to stay out of these things. I understand how people, like, (laughs) people just have enough sometimes. I've just, I don't know. I'm very grateful to do what I do, but I've got little little problems with it lately. I don't know. It's been a weird week for comedy, and I need to get back to my place of gratitude. That is where I'm most comfortable when I don't see any comedians getting slapped or backhanded when they watch their uh, sexual harasser win a Grammy, and I don't get described like a fucking duvet or sent an image of Caitlyn Jenner to inspire myself for a shoot. (laughs) Gratitude is where I work best and I need to remember why I got into this job in the first place, why I love it so much, and that's the tour. Tonight, I'm in Bournemouth. Where is that? Further away than I thought. Tomorrow, I'm in Brighton. And then Saturday, not bragging, back in Portsmouth. I hope to see you there. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Let's have some little adverts now. And when we come back, your questions. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Yikes, this is a bad scene. What the hell's going on here? Catherine, I had a baby five months ago. It was a really traumatic birth. 
and I no longer have regular appointments, but my file's been left open with a psychiatrist in case I feel the need to go back before the baby's one. The trauma was mostly around the time spent in labor, my sleep-deprived de brain telling me that medical procedures were sexual assault, resulting in fight-or-flight reactions, and losing so much blood, I nearly died. My partner has made no secret of the fact that he would like another child. Oh, of course he would. It was a wonderful day for him. But he's understanding that I'm not open to this discussion right now. I'm 95% sure there will not be another, but you never know. My issue, though, is other people. So many people ask me when we're having another. I try to be polite, shut the conversation down with, let me heal from this one first, or something. But in reality, I get re-traumatized, and I feel under threat every time someone asks. My partner's boss said it for the gazillionth time the other day, so I responded firmly. Well, the baby is nearly killed me, so I'm a bit apprehensive about another. Understandable, don't you think? Her response was to point out that my partner wants another child, and I am not the only woman that can do that for him. He was there at the time and tried to diffuse this by saying, ooh, harsh. I kind of expected a bit more reassurance and protection from him, to be honest. Well, listen, that's his boss. At least she didn't start wanking in front of him. I can understand how he's in a really tough position because she's his boss. You are effectively his boss in this situation. He wants other children. And now he's been outed for possibly talking about this at work. And maybe he knows how sensitive you are about it. And he's just like, <laughs> you know, men are scared. So I don't, I cannot believe another woman said this to you as well, because it just seems like she should have been more on your side. And I think if your baby is five months old, it's very low likelihood that you are even ovulating again. Why people want to ask you this now. And you don't have to have had a baby to know that births can be traumatic. I mean, even the most straightforward, wonderful birth is so traumatic and risky that you have to go to hospital for it usually. It's a, it's a bad scene. I'm really sorry that you had all this stuff happen to you. I, I will say that not every birth is the same that I have a girlfriend who has three kids and she nearly died having the second one, same as you report, like a long labor and then eventually an emergency C-section and she lost way too much blood and needed to have a trans transfusion. And she was tra traumatized by that, but she got pregnant six weeks later by some miracle and was in denial about that for a long time and possibly was quite sad afterwards. But now her two sons are the loves of her lives and she I mean and her daughter too but like these two back to back it turned out to be a good thing but traumatic at the time so my main advice would be this too shall pass the trauma as your body learns to forget will be minimized I think as time goes on especially with therapy and if you're still feeling this way maybe you should not have been discharged by the psychiatrist because postpartum can sneak up on you and it doesn't always look like what you think it does and if you feel, you know, you, you use words like trauma and under threat and you almost died and people keep bringing it back up, I would go back and reestablish that relationship with the psychiatrist in the first instance. But in the meantime, don't be afraid to shut these people down. I know you might not want to tell them the full story, but just be like, no, I nearly died having this baby. Do you want to talk about it? If not, I need some time to heal from that. I think you give the perfect response and people will back down and don't worry about, you know, I can tell that you're British. You don't want to make other people feel bad. Sorry, sorry. Oh, oh, I nearly died. Sorry to heap that upon you. But maybe they need to know because then they won't ask the next person when she's having another baby and then re-traumatize her again. So 
get back with the therapist, tell these people to fuck off. And don't worry, because this too shall pass. Your trauma will get smaller and further away as your baby gets older. Just focus on having the nicest experience, enjoying this baby. Guys, what have you done? You've pissed a nanny off. Catherine, I just finished listening to the slap episode. I heard a lady talking about getting an au pair. I'm a nanny, have been for 10 years. I get so offended when moms think that I would want to get with their husbands. My current boss feels like a father figure to me. I was an au pair in America for a year. The mom admitted to me that she didn't want to hire me because I was hot. This was nine years ago. I was 20 years old. I was so grossed out that she thought I might have wanted to hook up with her balding, beer-bellied, 40 year old husband with two kids. <laughs> Sick emoji. No thank you. I was living my best single life in the city. Now as a professional nanny, I would be so offended if people judged me on my looks. Whether they think I'm pretty or not is not the reason I help raise strong, independent, loved, and secure children. Sure, many of my fellow nanny community will agree with me. Anyway, love the podcast. Listen, babe, I agree with you. You do not deserve to be judged on your looks. Your qualification for a job has nothing to do with what you look like. And I understand why you're offended. I totally understand. But these women presumably at some point wanted to fuck their husbands. So to these women, in many cases, their husband is probably the hottest person that they know. (laughs) Or they love him or, you know, they see his bank account or he's a good father, like who knows why they're married to him, but they are married to him. So he should be the sexiest person to them. My husband, I mean, you guys know, he's not just the sexiest person to me. A lot of people think he's the sexiest person, but I love him. I can't imagine ever wanting to be with someone else. He's the hottest man I've ever seen in my life. And I think the mistrust isn't heaped on you. It's not that she thinks that you would sabotage her and try to seduce her husband. I think she just worries because, it's yeah, it's bigger than you. It's like the whole world is telling us that we need to do it all. We need to be professional career women, but we also need to keep our home immaculate and raise our children and satisfy our husbands sexually. Now, a lot of people have broken free of these shackles, but, I mean, that still is the vibe that is hundreds of years old if we're meant to do all of this and do it perfectly do it really well and if we fall short in any of those areas then someone else will fill in the gap and the husband will fall in love with them do you know and you being 20 years old and really hot even if nothing happened between you and the husband she just worries like constantly having you right next to her to compare your really plump collagen in your face with you being a little mary poppins singing and playing with these children and cleaning the house and she just it's more about i think her own insecurities and thinking well next to you my husband might fancy me less you know But she definitely should not articulate that to you because it's completely inappropriate in the workplace, number one. And it makes you feel bad. Like, what what are you supposed to do? Like, fuck up your look before you come to work so that you make women feel comfortable in their own homes? I don't know. It's bad, but it's culture. It's not you. I appreciate your email. I understand why you're offended. But next time, if that happens again, just, just know that it is not about you. Oh, no, there might be a sick man. Catherine, how can I convince him to see a GP? 
My boyfriend is my favorite person, and I'm his too. We've been together for 10 years. Lately, he's had some very concerning symptoms. I won't give you the grizzlies, but basically it's a big red flag for cancer. I know what this is. This is going to be poo-related. Defo. Because, I mean, testicular or poo-related, I feel like we're talking bowel cancer. That's my guess. I've told him that, not that he has it, it's just these are your concerning symptoms, right? I've told him that obviously this needs to be checked by a GP, but he just won't go. He's always been reluctant to see doctors, which we disagree on, but he's never had any major concerns before. This is keeping me up at night. He's getting sick of me asking questions like how long has it been going on for, etc. So now he refuses to talk to me about it at all. He's a very smart man, but his argument is once you think you're sick, then you become sick. So I would rather not know. It baffles me that he won't see a GP. I've tried to gently get him to think about this with lots of different approaches. I even tried to give him a dose of his own medicine. I had a smear test last month, got the results back, and when he asked how I got on, I said, well, it needs further investigation, but I won't go. He said, why? I said, because if I pretend I'm fine, then I will be fine. Genius. This pettiness was out of character, but it was my last resort. It didn't work. I don't think it's petty. I think that was really smart, actually, to make him think about how it feels to love someone who won't do further investigation on a concerning medical issue. Oh, Lord. Well, look, if his mantra is, if you think you're sick, then you become sick. Right now, his favorite person, i.e. you, thinks he's sick. So I think what I would say next is, well, one of us thinks you're sick, and this worry now is making me sick. So I need you to make a choice. You go and find out whether you're sick or not, or just leave me all alone feeling like you're sick and making myself sick. It's me or you. Do you know what I mean? So go, and then at least I'll feel better, and hopefully you're not sick. And if you are, we can get you some treatment. I don't know. I feel like... This is common with many men. I wonder if you can somehow get his poo from him. Let me see. Um, Test for bowel cancer. Again, you never said this is what it is, but I feel like this is what it is. Um, At-home bowel test cancer kit. All right. So if you go to a lot of these websites, letsgetcheck.co.uk. Oh, they have women's health tests, men's health tests, cancer screening tests. What the hell is this? This is not an ad, by the way. Um, and then they have screening places. Lloyd's Pharmacy have a self-check bowel health test kit. Hmm. Listen, go to cancerresearchuk.org and you can find out, oh, using all these different tests. And if it's something penis related, maybe they have a test on there too. Hopefully he just has a hemorrhoid or something. Been there, honey. But if not, you've got to get a hold of his poo somehow and test him behind his back. Literally behind his back, his anus. Maybe you could do something sexual because I'll be very, very transparent now. I've been speaking to some of my gay friends and apparently rimming is a must. I've yet to do it. I'm not raised to this with my husband, but if you like it, then you should have put a rim on it is the message I'm getting from my gay friends. Maybe introduce a bowel test kit into the bedroom. I mean, I'm not trying to minimize what could be a very serious problem. I just feel like needs must. I have trapped boyfriends with uh, drug tests before where I I felt like someone was doing drugs behind my back and he never flushed the toilet anyway. So I just tested the urine in the toilet for drugs and it came back positive. And then I got rid because I'm not a drugs house, not a drugs person. 
I think you're going to need to do some investigating of your own if he won't budge. But also, there is a man that I was reading about in the Sunday Times who wrote a book after his divorce about what he had learned. And he talked about chipping away at trust. And I feel like what your boyfriend's doing now isn't about you. It's about his own beliefs about medicine and insecurities. And it's very common. I think men are even less likely than women to visit the GP from studies I've read. But it chips away at trust because you say to someone, you're hurting me and you're not fixing it. And they ignore you and they ignore you. And that can actually break down a relationship. So he needs to address your very serious fears. I would say that to him. I would honestly be like, you're hurting me by not getting this tested. I understand why you don't want to. And I don't want to push you to do something that you're vehemently against. But let's think about this rationally. Show him the symptoms that you're worried about online and be like, this is making me sick. I need you to go. If you will not go, I will obtain your shit a different way and test you. I have messaged Bobby to come up for this one because I can see that it's going to require his expertise. Welcome, Bobby. Please come in and sit down. <laughs> I'm already reading it. This oh, is, I feel like this is pure trouble. Uh-oh. Here, if you sit next to me, Harry. Okay. I have been married to my husband for almost 10 years, and we have two wonderful children together. We met in our 30s, so both of us have ex-boy and girlfriends. This is the part that needs you. Two months ago, my husband told me he had received a message via Facebook from a girl that he'd been in a sexual relationship with 20 years ago. I told my husband I thought this was odd after all this time. When their relationship finished, they remained in touch as friends, but this too ended like 15 years ago. A couple weeks later, they were talking on the phone, which I was aware of. I shrugged this off as a simple friendly catch-up. But some weeks later, they have been in touch over the phone again, Late at night, while I was in bed asleep, I was woken by my husband's chatter. I confronted him and asked if I had anything to worry about. He said no. They were just good friends talking. I said, I don't know this woman. I think it's very unusual for her to get in touch after all this time, and I feel very uncomfortable that she's calling my husband late at night. Although she does not live local to us, I'm concerned about her expectations, and despite me voicing my displeasure on several occasions, my husband continues to message her and vice versa. I've been signed off work with stress due to pressures, but this personal situation has not helped. It's all I think about. Yeah, that's not very good. Bad. Yeah, that's not that's bad for sure. What do you think the worst part is? Um, I mean, like the phone calls. I can understand the odd maybe message here and there. Oh, like, can you? So I knew that I was gonna get a bit of <laughs> flack for that, but the odd message here and there, whatever. Um, but the phone calls uh, and the deceit, and then the continuing. She's not happy, and then he's continuing these phone calls. I mean, it's it's that's as bad as it gets. Really, it's bad all over. Yeah, it's bad all over. It's um, it was bad when they started the phone calls. Well, the phone calls. That's it. It's over. It's done. But it was super bad when you were asleep when right. they had phone calls. But then after you voiced your displeasure, he knows right. how you feel about right. it, and he's still doing it. Mm-hmm. Fucked. There's some. Uh, it's an emotional affair. It seems like. Yeah. Oh no. Do you think he's stressed out because you are signed off work with stress? Mm, I don't know. He's just being selfish. Like, I don't know. He shouldn't, it shouldn't matter. Like, you know, because some people, like, if their partner's not well, it's almost contagious. And then they go, oh, I'm not happy. Like, maybe are other things going on? Because you, not that you need to be, like, regularly fucking your husband. You want to see my period tracker. It doesn't happen too often in this house. But if, <laughs> if, He's unhappy. Like, this might not even have anything to do with the other woman, but he wouldn't. I don't feel like someone would do this unless he was unhappy in his marriage, right? 
Well, or, or he's either unhappy or he's just being, like I said, selfish or he's like getting some kicks out of this somehow yeah. and he's just like, yeah, I mean, it's not good. Like maybe he's having a midlife crisis and he wants to remember what it was like. like. Looks, maybe he's just, you know, looking for attention and mm-hmm. he still loves his wife, but he also wants to do this and he kind of wants the best of both worlds. But um, yeah, it's bad because. It's bad. Yeah. It's bad all over. How bad do you think they need to split up or do you think she just needs to, what should she do? Mm, I mean, maybe give it one more. Like, it's hard because when she says, don't do this, don't do this, yeah. and he still does it, like, what's going to change? I don't know. Like, something bad needs to happen, so she should probably just, you know, leave him in some way. So I'm not putting up with this. And then that's your only hope, and maybe he sees the, the light, but... Yeah, it doesn't look great. Have you ever heard this story? And I don't know what message this is supposed to send us. I always feel like it's quite a creepy story. It's like, what are you trying to teach us with this folklore of a woman who finds out her husband is cheating on her? Or or no, that's not it. He wants a divorce. And she says, I'll give you a divorce. But for the children's sake, for the next month, I want you to carry me up to bed every night in your arms like you used to when you crossed the threshold after we first got married and he's like what the fuck and she's like yeah just carry me up to bed every night for a month and then i'll give you a divorce and he goes okay so the first night it's really awkward because he wants a divorce he picks her up and he carries her to bed and the children see this fine and then the next night and the more he does it the more he sort of starts to remember what it was like to be newlyweds and he enjoys carrying her to bed and getting in good shape (laughs) (laughs) she's being so sweet you know she never raises her voice at him and she's just like carry me to bed so he carries her to bed every night for a month and then on the last night she dies in her sleep and it turns out she was dying of cancer the whole time and she just wanted him to look like a good father and husband for the kids what's that fucking message i mean uh, good for her but i don't know if that's true like what like no it's like a urban it's like a thing that's meant to send us a message and i feel like the message is even if you're dying just be nice and put your kids first it's like a real damaging message for women you've never heard this story before i've heard that story before yes and all i can think is about how sore my back would be for a month straight (laughs) and then obviously yeah, it wouldn't be good. But it's very passive-aggressive, too. Because she played I mean, the best trick on him where she's like, and guess what? I'll never yell at you. I'll be, like, so stoic. And then at the end, you know I'll what? be it, dead. But she sets him up for, like, success, too, later in life. Like, it's a, yeah, it's a wonderful little ditty. He's going to feel shit about himself. If of I, course, but he's going to fix or correct some things, maybe. Yeah. Like, she's setting him and the children up for his... I don't know. I don't like it. Well, I don't love it. I, you know... <laughs> Okay. Well, look, we have really bad news for you because I know you're already signed off work with stress. So this is bad. It's really bad. It could be salvageable, though. Yeah, you got to make a a real strong break or cut or something where he gets it. These little soft warnings that don't want you doing this, that's not going to cut it. You got to be a bit more firm. I think maybe this is not what like the trauma community would say, but I feel like this is your chance to take back your own happiness and your own freedom yeah like go like fuck someone else not no i don't know i wouldn't fuck someone else i would say my mantra is if someone walks out of your life you let them go he is essentially that's by exactly it right he has by not caring about your feelings and behaving in this way 
uh, essentially walked out of your life for now and you're in a bad place in your life too so maybe that's not a place that he is as mature as you are in existing in right now so you pick yourself up you wash your face and I don't mean to minimize your stress but like go do something fun and just be like oh fuck you like we're done so I don't know what your sleeping arrangements are I don't think you should yell and scream and fight because that's never a way to heal a marriage it's not like dating a marriage there's yeah. a lot more investment you have two kids so I wouldn't yell and scream. I would just be like, you've made it very clear that my feelings don't matter to you. So till further notice, like we're roommates, your feelings don't fucking matter to me. I've been really stressed for a while actually. And now I'm going out, I'm getting a dog. I'm going for a walk. I'm like doing this, doing that. Don't you think? I'm going on a shopping spree, just do something. Still be fun and happy with the kids. Don't think about this anymore because you've got enough going on mm. on your plate. You need to stay healthy and well for yourself and your children. And that I feel also is the only way to get him back if that's what you want. It is, you have to be attractive. So attractive people are happy, they're calm, they're funny. So you have to, I know you're stressed. You have to find a way to make yourself more attractive. And you know, whether it's, doing a bit of exercise, going out with friends, like buy a new outfit or something, a couple of new outfits. Just and like, this is not woke like, advice, by the way, no, but it's true. Like it will work. It's, it's, yeah, psychological advice. And it's for you, number one, because the happier you are, then the more, you know, you, someone will want to be around you. And it sucks to be sad and it sucks to be signed off work due to stress at work. But you can't let this break you because you just got too much stress. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, we're going to get so in trouble for this advice, but it is the right advice. It, it's, yeah, it's been around forever, that kind of advice. Yep. It works. Please let me know how it goes. And if this guy listens to my podcast, fuck you, loser. And if the woman listens to this podcast, well, she probably doesn't. Where does she live? She's a loser, too. Thanks for being on the show, Bobby. Yeah, no problem. Thank you very much for listening to Telling Everybody Everything. Email me at tellingeverybodyeverything at gmail.com. Thank you to my gorgeous husband, Bobby Kay. I am on tour throughout the UK and Europe until uh, September or November 2022. I don't know. I haven't asked. I go where they say. If you have not yet purchased my book or listened to my book, The Audacity, you could still do that. You should do that. It's a great book. I'll see you next week. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. 
From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com